Mindfulness Mode 456. For me, mindfulness is really the objective, non-judgmental awareness and curiosity that you bring to the present moment. Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome back to the show. And if you're a new listener, thank you so much for joining us here on Mindfulness Mode. I'm Bruce Langford. And today I have a guided meditation for you. It's a full 30 minute guided meditation called Release Your Overwhelm. And it will help you to abandon your inner blocks and surrender your stress. It'll help you become more focused. The price is $4.99. You can go to mindfulnessmode.com forward slash release. Now today, I have a guest on who is an intuitive coach. She's a healer. And she's all about intuition and reconnecting sensitive souls and uh, I think you'll enjoy it I know I enjoyed talking to Marcy very much sit back relax and enjoy my chat with Marcy Moberg mindful tribe we always love meeting people who are connectors people who love like just helping other people to kind of get together and people who can kind of feel that sense of, you know, this person should meet that person and we can get them to meet up. And today I've got that very person with me. I have Marcy Moberg with me today. Hey, Marcy, are you in mindfulness mode today? Yes, I am. I'm excited to be here. It's great to have you with us, Marcy. Marcy Moberg is an intuitive coach and healer. And she has a passion, like I said, for connecting sensitive souls and how she puts it is to their forgotten intuitive nature. Marcy's work includes coaching individuals and groups to develop their intuition, understand their sensitivity, own their power and navigate life's transitions and relationships with authenticity. She has a popular online course that's called Intuition 101, and it's a life-changing course on practical intuition development. Now, Marcy's been featured in several online platforms like Mind Body Green and Huffington Post and Thrive Global. And you can follow her on her website at marcymoberg.com. And I'm going to say right off the bat, it's Marcy, M-A-R-C-I. And Moberg is M-O-B-E-R-G. And so marcymoberg.com. Marcy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, it really is great to have you with us. So you have a passion for reconnecting sensitive souls to their forgotten intuitive nature. Now, when do we forget? Is that when we go through that transition of childhood to adulthood? Or do you think we forget before that? Yeah, I think we, I think most of us, I mean, it depends honestly on what's happening in your household. And so there are some of us that don't forget it at all because there's actually a place for that. There's language for it. There's context for it. There's acceptance of our intuitive nature. But for most of us, we lose that as we grow from small children into our teen years and then into adulthood because the rational mind, which is something important to us, is overemphasized. And so we really get disconnected from what I would say is the other half of ourselves. 
And we come out into adulthood as half human beings, really. Half of us is functioning. We have that analytical, rational, maybe scientific kind of mode of mind. That's what we're learning. But this intuitive side, which is much more feeling, listening, perceiving, perception, that side of us we're often disconnected from because it's undervalued and or judged along the way. Do you think a lot of people find that their intuitive nature has to do with their artistic side? Sometimes I do think that that's the case. And I say sometimes because I don't want people to think, hear this and say, oh, well, I'm not very artistic, so I must not be intuitive. No, that's not the case. I've met some people who are, you know, engineers or mathematicians that are quite intuitive. I mean, you could say that some of the greatest in the world, like Einstein, were extremely intuitive people. So, but I do think that a lot of times where the greatest art comes from is that intuitive place of us. I want to ask you what mindfulness means to you. What's your definition of mindfulness? Yes, I love this question. And I love that you always ask this because everyone has a different perception on it, right? And for me, mindfulness is really the objective, non-judgmental awareness and curiosity that you bring to the present moment. But honestly, I believe you can also bring it to the past in order to be more present in your future. So that for me is, you know, not only being in touch with what's happening with your thoughts, your habits, your behavior, but it's your entire state of being in a present moment, what's happening around you, and also the ability to reflect with that same kind of awareness on what's happened in the past so that you may be more present as you move into the future. Right. Well, you know, I think that we kind of forget about that whole non-judgmental side because as human beings, we tend to naturally be judgmental, don't we? Yes. How do we shake that? Yeah, a lot of practice. <laughs> I don't have a shortcut other than a lot of practice. Yeah, it's 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 really wired into us. And un- unfortunately, it's very much wired into our society. So our social conditioning really imparts at on us both at a societal level and if we have our parents perhaps have not kind of dealt with their own inner critic then their inner critic can really be imparted infused into us and then it becomes challenging which is why i believe intuition development can be so tricky because the question becomes who is really me and who is not really me you know what is really my truth what is not my truth and so it's so it's so subtle so i really think you know, mindfulness is the place to start. When I talk to people about developing their intuition, I didn't come to this place of really mastering my intuition on purpose, to be honest. It started with many years of meditation and mindfulness that then kind of popped me into this spontaneous intuitive place where intuition started showing up in my life very strongly. And that is because over time, I was able to notice these judgmental thoughts and not associate them with my truth. When you first started meditating, were you able to make it a habit immediately or was it a challenge for you? What was that like? Well, I'm a very disciplined person. So that's kind of in my nature. One of the kind of inner critical parts I had to deal with of myself, I affectionately call extremist Marcy. And that's kind of like the over discipliner. (laughs) Uh So in many ways, 
by the time I started meditating, I already had a very strong spiritual practice and it was very easy for me to stay disciplined. That being said, it would be easy for me to stick to a meditation practice, but the actual meditation practice was very difficult for me because my mind was so, so active, so active. And so, you know, it became a place of necessity, to be honest, to meditate. And I, I recognized that even though it was challenging, something inside of me kept saying, just keep showing up, just keep consistently doing this. And then over time, it became easier. But honestly, it became easier over time as I started to learn what practices would work for me, because there are so many different techniques out there. There's not one technique that is I would say the technique, we all have different temperaments. And so we need a meditation practice that's going to actually meet our temperament and our our mental kind of nature. And because mine was super active, it took me some time to find that. And what was it like? What was the practice like that you discovered? (laughs) Well, for me, it really started with a very body-centered awareness and breathing practice. Those were kind of the two practices I think I started with at first that I always recommend people start with because it's very concrete and grounded and, and accessible. But I, then I, over time started moving into more of kind of a Zen influenced open awareness practice, which I found quite relieving because that is, I didn't understand at the time. I'm much more of an, what I would say, an artistic meditator than a scientific meditator. So there are some people that are more kind of, I would say, scientific in sense that they need very a lot of structure and they need a lot of step-by-step and that actually works very well for their mind. What I discovered is that a lot of structure actually stressed me out because structure is easy for me, but more artistic kind of like nature of open awareness, allowing what's unfolding to unfold and witnessing what's happening in your thoughts, just witnessing what's unfolding in your experience that felt ah, like this breath of air that was very spacious for me. So that is what eventually my practice evolved to, and it's changed even more since then. So did you study this formally, or are you self-taught? Did you learn it online? Where did you learn all this? I learned this practice from one of my first meditation teachers, who was trained as a Thai forest monk in Thailand, and then Over time, I got connected with a community of Theravada Buddhist nuns who are out in California, who I still remain very close with. I almost joined their community. Actually, at one point, I went and lived in that monastery for a while. And why did you decide not to join? Oh, that's a great question. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, the reason why I decided not to join was, so actually, I had decided to join. I shaved my head. I had drove there cross country. I drove cross country back by myself to go back to Washington, D.C. In that process, as intuition would have it, I spontaneously ended up at a cabin, like a little tiny house in Arizona. And while I was there, the person that was caretaking for the land was clearly a very intuitive person and said, I don't know why you're here. I don't know what your purpose of your journey is. But for some reason, I have this very strong knowing that's telling me that you made a big decision and you need to reconsider it. And so just spend a lot of time on this land with the animals in silence. Don't read, don't listen to anything. Don't leave the land as much as you can and just see what unfolds for you. And I tend to trust those weird moments (laughs) because it's just was so unusual. So I did exactly what he said. I just spent a lot of time on the land in silence 
And in my meditation, at one point, I heard this kind of spontaneous questioning come up, say, what are you choosing if you choose to become a Buddhist nun? And for me, the answers were quite obvious. But then the question, the second question that came in that was more interesting was, what are you not choosing? And that one was, I had spent a while with. So I sat with that question for a while, just in open awareness. I just kind of kept dropping it into my meditation container and seeing what came up. And what came up was fear. I was afraid of leaving my my job and doing the work I do today. I was afraid of, I, I wouldn't be able to sp- support myself because I really just wanted to dedicate myself to learning my spiritual practice and sharing spiritual teachings with others. That's really what I wanted to do. And I didn't think that was viable. I had gone through a really difficult divorce. So I was really afraid of being in relationship. It wasn't really that I wanted to live outside of being in partnership. It's rather that I had developed a fear around that. So when I heard that, I knew the answer was that I had to, the practice actually was going towards my fears. So from that point, I basically dedicated a whole year of my life to walking straight into the fires of my fears. And I did everything I was scared of from leaving my job to dating to rock climbing because I was scared of heights, like everything for one whole year straight. Wow. How old were you at that time? In my early 30s, I believe. Yeah. In my early 30s, maybe 31 or 30, something like that. Yeah. And what did your friends and relatives think of what you were going through at that time? Did they think you had kind of lost it or what? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, to be honest, I've never really been a conventional person. So I don't think they thought I lost it at that point because they've been on quite a long winding journey with me. You know, I started hanging out with, as one of my teachers joked, I started hanging out with interesting people and funny hats and interesting clothing for (laughs) many years ago because I was on this very vigorous, like drawing spiritual path for a long time, which led me through, you know, mysticism and Christianity to Islam. I was Muslim for many years and, and studied Islam to then practicing as a yogi and almost becoming a Buddhist nun. I kind of had to walk through all these traditions to then eventually find what was my truth, which was actually outside of any of those traditions. And now that you've traveled all this distance, what is your biggest struggle right now, Marcy? Hmm. My biggest struggle right now, I would say I'm in the process of peeling back, you know, as you walk down this path, there's always more layers. Yeah. There's always more layers. And I find that each time you pull a layer back, you discover maybe even a deeper wounding that's seeking healing or even a more subtle layer to a pattern that you haven't dealt with before. So I've been working on healing my own trauma for a long time. And now I'm at a very deep layer around that, that includes a lot of really renegotiation over the last year or so of my relationship with my family and who I am to them and just being a lot more honest instead of being the one that kind of upheld a strong container for so long to protect other people's feelings. And what does authenticity mean to you? Authenticity for me is the ability to really honor yourself and to honor the truth that's in you in the present moment. Because the truth is, is that our truth evolves over time as we 
learn and experience more, we evolve. And so it's really honoring that continual evolution, regardless of what other people think. And it's very, it's very hard, but I think it's the most rewarding thing and most rewarding path we can take. I want to ask you how people feel just before they begin your Intuition 101 course, that excitement, that feeling that they're going to move from one place to another. Can you describe that? Sure. Most of the people that join me for my course, they are, as you mentioned in my brief bio, they're sensitive souls. So they are really big hearted people. They feel a lot. They maybe have been told over the years that they're too sensitive or they're too much or they're too emotional. They are often people that tend a lot to the loved ones in their lives. They may be in a you know work of service, but they just feel drawn to be of service in this life. So they have big hearts. They feel a lot. And sometimes figuring out how to find your truth as someone that feels so much, cares so much, is concerned about other people's feelings, is concerned about making other people happy. Sorting through your truth in that kind of a dynamic is very difficult. Most of the people that join my course are actually do have very clear intuition. Their challenge most of the time is that they self-doubt it. So they may have their clarity. And then this little voice comes in and goes, but is that really the right decision? And is that really what you should do? And what about so-and-so? You don't want to hurt their feelings. And and then they stop because they're good people. They have these big hearts. They want to do the right thing. But sometimes that big heartedness of wanting to do the right thing actually becomes their stumbling block. So that's really the journey they're on. And they are excited to finally go, okay, how can I really know? What is my truth? How can I really know how I'm being guided? How can I connect to my own truth and my answers, whether it's inside of myself or through my spirit guides? Many of them may have had experiences where perhaps loved ones who have passed away show up to them in dreams and they don't know what to do about that. They often have these kind of intuitive experiences, but don't have a community to discuss it because they feel like they will be judged. I see. Is Intuitive 101 an on-location course? Do you take it online? What what does it look like? It's an online course and it's five live lessons. So we go through uh, five live lessons over a period of about, ends up being about seven weeks because I have some little breaks in between. So folks have time for integration to really absorb what we're learning. So we have online online sessions with each other as a community where I deliver material and I am a very practical person. So I love to practically walk people through exercises in real time so that they have a sense of, okay, this is, these are the practices we're going to then focus on. Would you be able to share one exercise with us today? Just a little taste of it? Yeah, sure. One of the practices that we start with at the beginning is on connecting to the heart because, you know, when we're looking at connecting to our intuition, we need to start breaking down what I call the channels of communication that are happening inside of us. So instead of just hearing everything that's coming through as one channel, we need to start recognizing actually there are multiple channels inside of us. So the first breakdown we start with is what is the mind? What is the heart? What is the mind? What is the heart? 
And one exercise people can do is to start bringing awareness to their heart center in a meditation. You can start to actually, one, just physically get much more in touch with that space. It sounds simple, but it is actually profoundly difficult for a lot of folks. When you first start connecting, you I've, I've had so many students and clients over the years tell me that when they tune into that space, it's almost like there's numbness or there's no sensation. And so it's starting to awaken that space by drawing your attention there. That's the first step. And then the second step is actually being willing to ask questions to that space. So I love with starting with a daily question after you connect to that space, you get curious about what sensations are there. You ask the question, dear heart, what would you have me know today? And it starts to rebuild a relationship, a very intimate relationship and connection with that space that so many of us have lost over time or haven't practiced. Can you tell us a story of someone who has taken your course, Intuition 101, and they've gone through a transition and really moved to a beautiful new place? Yes. One of my clients who went through my intuition course and also did some one-on-one work with me, they're doing amazing. They went from this place where when I first met this person, they were very, very anxious and doubtful of themselves, very anxious and doubtful. They were in a relationship that really honestly wasn't aligned for them, Mm -hmm. but they were scared to acknowledge that. So through this process of learning how to tune into themselves, they were able to leave that relationship. They were able to really get in touch with what they actually want in a partner. That process also opened up for them actually new understandings around their sexuality that they had not actually spent time acknowledging because it had been felt too vulnerable to connect to that place in their heart. You know, they're actually dating someone now that they are in a successful, happy relationship with that's very aligned for them. They discovered that they have healing gifts and they have since left their job and they've started the path of actually being a healer now, which was a complete surprise to them. They weren't expecting that at all, but it's been a really beautiful, it's been such a gift to be able to witness them blossom into this authentic self where they are just constantly, you know, they tell me every time we talk, they they tell me that they constantly get feedback, that they're just radiating all the time. And sure, they experience difficulties, but now they know how to seek guidance within to help them in those difficult spots to overcome that and to stay true to themselves. I know that on Facebook, you can be found at Joy with Marcy. And again, that's Marcy with an I. Tell me why you chose that name, Joy with Marcy. What does joy mean in your life? Joy is one of the first things that I started to reawaken inside of myself. Many years ago, I had been a longtime meditator And I felt like my life had gotten pretty peaceful. And I was at the time I was still working in my government job. I was in the subway and I remember just looking around me and intuitively sensing, is this it? Is this what I worked for? Is this what all my practices led me to this point? I feel really peaceful, but honestly, kind of dead inside. There was a deadness. There was a aliveness that was lacking in my life. And so when I sat with that question, as I was on the subway, I heard intuitively this voice inside say, there's more, 
So I got curious, what is this more thing? And I just started staying open and slowly over time through a series of synchronicities, I discovered that the more for me was really joy and that I was missing joy. I was missing a connection to pleasure because it's very easy for me to be kind of more of a, like, I think I definitely in many lives, I was like a cave dwelling mystic because that's like more of my thing. (laughs) It's very hard for me actually to experience joy and pleasure and play and fun. And so I went through all these years of reincorporating that back into my life because I had become, you know, kind of like a cave dwelling mystic in a city, like, you know, in a sense. And there was a part of me that wasn't alive. So I always tell people, you know, my personal mantra is joy takes practice, being you takes courage. And I really do believe joy is part of the essence. And when we connect to our intuition, it it guides us in that direction. We're, we are here to feel enlightened. For sure. So as a little girl, would someone have said, oh, Marcy is such a serious little girl. She's just taking everything so seriously. Or would people have said, you're a happy, go lucky, joyful little girl. What was your life like? Yeah, they would have said that I was extremely happy go lucky, joyful. I mean, I would, you know, my family tells me that when I woke up in the morning, like just when I was able to speak, the first thing I would say really loudly through the house was I waked up. (laughs) And And so I was very, very enlivened and very joyful and super creative and very curious and uh, very connected to nature. I was always outside exploring and It's really that over time through experiences of trauma, through social conditioning in school, I, I, you know, I learned in school through that process that actually I had a very strong intellect, a very strong analytical mind. And I saw, oh, that gives me positive accolades. So without even thinking about it over time, I started favoring that side of myself. And I have a very specific moment when in high school, where one of my freshman writing teachers, I, I had not wanted to be in any special, more advanced classes like my whole school career, but they finally convinced me, my middle school teachers finally convinced me going to high school, please take an advanced English course. Like you, you really, you should. And I said, fine. I didn't really didn't want to, but I agreed to it. So I went and in this advanced course, whenever I would write papers, I, I would get them back. And, and mind you, I was pretty much always a straight A student. And I would get this paper back and it would have red ink through it. It would say F. And it was just so jarring for me. Like, I I don't, it was so confusing. And so when we ended up having a conversation with the teacher, the teacher said, while I was there, create, because I was a very creative person, creative writing will get Marcy nowhere. She won't get into college with that. She won't get successful jobs with that. She needs to learn how to be a professional writer. And that's why I'm giving her F's on her papers, because apparently I wasn't just like factually reporting. I wanted to make the paper writing fun. So (laughs) I made it creative and metaphorical and poetic and she didn't like it at all. And in that moment, a part of me really shut down. And honestly, for years, I'm still pulling that writer, that creative writer out of me. And it's through moments like that that I learned oh, my intellect, my analytical, rational side is super strong. Let's exercise that. So I exercised that over and over and over and over and over again 
through college to graduate degrees to my success in the government. So if I looked at your articles on Thrive Global or Mind Body Green, I would see that that very creative side of you. Is that right? Yeah, there's more of a storyteller that's been coming out in me as I started doing this work that I do now because I don't have the confines of needing to write a memo with bullet points anymore. <laughs> right. Oh, that's good. Yes. That's good. I always ask a question about bullying. Do you have a story where you were bullied or you were a bully or a situation where mindfulness would have made a difference? Yes, absolutely. I was bullied as a kid. I was bullied at multiple times in my life growing up. I think that's also different ways. I mean, I always kind of maintain some of my just inherent eclectic nature, but honestly, some parts of it just got shut down over time. And so as a young girl, I was made fun of for my teeth. My teeth were quite crooked. And so I was made fun of those for a long time. And then I had to go through a lot of, you know, dental work um, to, you know, quote unquote, fix them whenever I had braces, like all those years, I was just made fun of for my teeth. I also was made fun of for different friend groups. When I was in middle school, I was, you know, that's really when who, who became popular, became popular. These kind of clicks started developing and Mm -hmm. I wasn't kind of up on that. So at one point I remember this one group that I belonged to, which later became the quote unquote popular group. Uh, the main girl in the group told me, hey, if you're going to sit at that lunch table with these other people, um, you can't sit with us anymore. So you have to choose. And I said, well, forget that. I don't want to sit with you. So I didn't sit with them anymore. And then I was really punished for that. They break into my gym locker and steal my gym clothes and throw them in the toilet and, you know, just do a lot of things to me. And 100% mindfulness would have helped me because I was pretty good at not, I think, internalizing it, but there's some internalization I did. So it would have helped me not internalize that and take it personally. I think it would have helped me realize these people are doing these things because they're hurting. Maybe pe- maybe their parents are bullying them at home. They're not being seen. There's something happening for them that, that's causing this really bad behavior. So I would have been able to see that. And, and lastly, I think most importantly, I would have felt empowered to have a very powerful conversation where I could have in a mindful way asserted myself and my truth clearly and drawn some boundaries. And I didn't do that. I kind of, you know, I'm a very resilient person. I was a very resilient kid. That's how I survived my trauma. I would just kind of adapt. And so I just adapted to the situation and would quote unquote, let water roll off my back. But the truth was it did really hurt me. And those Mm -hmm. skills would have helped me a lot. Wow. Interesting story. As we move forward in this interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions, Marcy. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? The one person that's influenced mindfulness the most in my life. I mean, besides the Buddha, (laughs) I would say the Buddha. (laughs) I mean, and I say the Buddha because uh, when I started practicing, I really started with actual sutras with the actual books, the the actual texts of the Buddhist teachings. Right. So I would have to say the Buddha right. uh, would have to be my answer. Okay. Do you consider yourself a Buddhist? I don't consider myself technically a Buddhist, but I guess it's because I don't really as- associate myself with any specific label. My, my spiritual practice is very eclectic. 
But mm-hmm. Buddhist, Buddhism and Buddhist thinking influences me significantly. Sure. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Marcy? Mindfulness has taught me that my emotions are my messengers. The emotions are here and they have really important messages for me. And so if I can be with them and lean into them, I can learn so much about myself and I can heal and I can grow in ways that I never expected. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. I love breathing. (laughs) Breathing for me is something that I do. I do every day in the morning when I start to meditate. It's just a way to really ground myself back into my body after waking up from sleep. I use breathing techniques um, anytime that I need to recenter myself. I use breathing techniques when I just feel like I'm getting sleepy and I need to refresh my energy. So breathing continues to remain a, a pretty strong staple for my practice. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? I would say it's, it's actually not technically a mindfulness book in the sense of I don't think you would see it labeled as that. But the reason why I'm suggesting this book is because I believe it takes mindfulness practice beyond mindfulness. And that is called Braiding Sweet Grass. It's by Robin William, uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer. And she's a botanist and a citizen of the Potawatomi tribe. And she it's just a glorious, gorgeous book where she walks you through both scientifically and spiritually the world around you. And it helps, I think, people really connect to plants and animals and land and landscapes in ways that we desperately need right now because so much of the mindfulness work, which is important, is focused on the internal experience and our minds. Wonderful. But we can't forget our connection to life. And I really feel like her book emphasizes bringing that connection to life into the central central area of our life. And it's called Braiding Sweet Grass. Yes. Right? Yes. I I like that. Nobody has ever uh, recommended that book before. So I I think it's really cool that you have. Great. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. And uh, is there an app you would recommend that can help with mindfulness? Uh, I use Insight Timer. I love Insight Timer. I recommend it. I'm part of a yoga faculty for teacher training, and I recommend it all the time to people. It's wonderful. I mean, it's evolved so much since I first started using it many years ago. But the reason why I like it is you can either use the timer or you can follow a guided meditation and it gives you a structure so that your mind doesn't have to go, wait, how long have I been meditating for? Or what do I focus on? So I personally use it every day. My current practice is to do a journeying practice. And so when I do journeying, I I practice along with a drum track, unless I'm drumming for myself. I also have my own drum and many days I'll drum for myself. But I love that app. I think it's wonderful. It's versatile. You can find any style of meditation there, which which is great. Yes, you can. Marcy, if you only had 30 days left, what's one thing that you would want to include in the rest of your life? Ooh, I like this question. Travel. I I mean, I just, I love traveling. I love, I'm just inherently curious, I suppose, as people can tell from my spiritual path. So I, I would, I would love to just travel and connect and see more, more places and, and meet more people and just have more experiences. Cause I'm just infinitely curious about this planet that we're on. 
Well, it's been a great experience for me to get to know you, Marcy. And it's Marcy, M-A-R-C-I, Moberg, M-O-B-E-R-G.com. So visit MarcyMoberg.com and check out Intuition 101 because it is a life-changing course, which a lot of people have taken and have found it to be life-changing for them. So Marcy, thank you so much for being on Mindfulness Mode. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so fun. You're welcome. Bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. Remember what I mentioned at the top of the show, the Release Your Overwhelm Guided Meditation for $4.99. Abandon your inner blocks, surrender your stress, and become more focused with the calming sound of the waves and reminders about how you can release your blocks that are holding you back. Download this full-length 30-minute guided meditation at mindfulnessmode.com slash release. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.